I was just trying to remember. Uh, it was funny, the other day I was singing that song while I was working in the house, and you know, it's a lot of joy when you can just go through the house, clean it up, things like that, and I'm not saying that's what brings the joy, but anyway, the thing is, is I really enjoyed singing that song. Uh, my father planned it all, and how true it really is. My father planned it all. And uh, the first time I ever heard it sung was by a, a preacher down in Florida. His name was Steve Shelton. And uh, the first time I ever heard it, I mean, he just brought it. There was so much melody to it. I love that particular song and how special it is as well. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. We'll want to finish up in chapter 13 as we uh, get ready to go right into chapter 14. And as we do, we want to get into uh, the different aspects, as you can see with the timeline that is on the board behind us. It is really, by the way, good to see everyone's back in. Uh, I know when we miss uh, not having the services, and uh, it was kind of interesting being here by myself last week. I don't know if you could tell or not, uh, but my, my visitors and the guests that were here, I'm sure that they would uh, see that as well. But the reality is, is that as we get into the last aspects of everything that we see, how special it is that God is with us and he's always before us. Um, I said chapter 13, actually I want to go to chapter 14, beginning of verse 1, and let's read that down to verse 8. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the mount of Sinai, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harp, harpers harping with their harps. And they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts, and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lord, the Lamb, wheresoever he goeth. These things redeemed, these were the ones that were redeemed among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them which dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of the judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the, foot, uh, and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she hath made all nations drink of the wine of her wrath, of her fornication. So as we go from the presence of the 144,000, we want to get into a little bit about Babylon and uh, to see the message that is there that for us to read and to learn from. I've had a lot of people ask me this question about the 144,000. Well, who is 144,000? Of course, the Bible declares that to us. It says that they are 12,000 from each tribe of the children of Israel, and we are shown that each one of those tribes as well. But at the point 
that we see in Revelation chapter 14, they are already before the throne of God. The reason we know that for certain is that we find two instances. Number one, they're on Mount Zion. And notice also it said in verse 6, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. In other words, this is a heavenly scene that we want to take a look at today. So God's strength and his ability started out with 144,000, which kind of gives me the indication that the saints have already been redeemed off the earth. And again, this goes all in favor of everything we understand about 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One of the great criticisms that a lot of people like to point out to me is they say, well, what about uh, the gospel? You know, there's never been a man not present to preach the gospel. Well, we've got to remember this, is that the moment that the saints are raptured off the earth, and by the way, the word rapture just means taking them off the earth, the moment that we see the saints re removed from the earth, we see the two witnesses come down and the calling of the 144,000. And did you notice that the 144,000 go out globally? Their primary mission is to reach out to all of those that are of the remnant of Israel that will be called into the wilderness and to flee into the wilderness. But the reality is, is that there's never a time that the gospel does not continue to exist. There's also something that's very interesting, is that when we read verses 6 and 7, it says again, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Now this is a heavenly being that is pronouncing the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. And notice, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation, and kindred, and tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God. Now it's interesting, heaven declares fear of God, the earth declares fear of God, and we are finding that there are new individuals that have been called to preach the gospel, even to the point of death, that we might understand more about what the gospel is all about. So we want to go to the Lord in prayer, we're going to ask him for his guidance and his direction as we prepare to conclude in this service, in, in, in this part of the message today. So Father, again, we want to thank you. Uh, for your purpose and the plan that you bring to us each and every day. And I want to thank you, Lord, not only for the music ministry that you allowed us to enjoy, and Father, how important it is for us to remember that all this is in your plan. This is the divine case, Lord, of my Father hath planned it all. And we know, Lord, that as we stand before you each and every day, we have a responsibility to declare the truth, and to know, Father, that whatever you may give us, that we might be honored and, and we might understand the glory and all that you give. So guide us and bless, help us to be faithful unto you in all things. May we rejoice in the word of God today. Again, Lord, I pray for help in my own preaching abilities and that you would give me the power from on high to preach the word of God as you see fit. So guide and bless and keep us, Lord, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Now, as you can see on the chart, we've already gotten to that place to where we see the, the midpoint. And uh, we're still focusing on that midpoint range. And in fact, Brother Joe, if you will go ahead and let's take a look at the next slide. And reality is, is that when we look at the next slide, we see that they are actually, and these are just cartoon uh, elements where we can see how that they were taken, 
Uh, first of all, the first image that we see is the sealing of the, uh, the saints on, on, uh, in Revelation chapter 6. So let's go over there for a moment. Uh, actually, it's in Revelation chapter 7. And notice it says that they were sealed, beginning with verse 4 of Revelation chapter 7. And I heard the number of them which were sealed and were sealed and were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes and the children of Israel. Now I could go back in and we can read all the different tribes that are there, but once again, they have it sealed in their forehead that they belong to Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's interesting, <coughs> excuse me, how many of us have ever questioned, are we following along righteously and carefully with the Word of God. And I think that every one of us need to do that. Uh, it is interesting that there's times that I'll have a lot of people that they, they, they uh, talk about uh, different individuals that have been important to them that handle the Word of God. And again, TBN and everybody else has it uh, to where that these people are given plenty of, of airtime, if you will. And so you find people that have uh, literally just preached this monopoly, this, if you will, to send us more money. And I kind of get along with people about the money situation, things like that. But do you realize that the millions of dollars that goes into fake ministry, and again, I don't mind calling people out by name, but I'm very careful about that, especially in this pulpit. But there are individuals who want to uh, make a mockery of the things of God. I don't know if you know this or not, but there was one man, and his great profession was that he was a, a faith healer. And uh, when there was two individuals that were getting ready to go into the mission work. And here's the way he stated it. Silver and gold have we plenty. And that, that just went through me. Because the reality is, is that, and we are well, I mean, let's put it this way, we have been blessed, we have a building, we have good finances, everything is in good shape. But do you realize that every little thing that we have is because God's grace has been extended to us? And if I have a little or a portion on this earth, I can have ample amount of stuff. I can have a refrigerator, I have a car, I have uh, different air conditioning, things like that. I have a place over my head. But may I point this out to you, that's all very fleeting. That's all just very quickly. And for individuals to claim that there is plenty of money in my pocket. If you want to be a my follower, you have to give more money. You know, that goes through me. Did we ever hear Peter and, Jane, and John say to the, the poor man that was uh, lame from, his mother, from the mother's birth, if you will, and they said, silver and gold have I plenty. No, they never said it that way. They said, we don't have the silver and gold. We don't have the earthly possessions. We don't have the things that we there. But we do have Christ. And, you know, that's the area that I want us to, to concentrate on. Do we really see that Christ is in us? And so when we talk about people that all they want to uh, claim to people is send me more money, send me more money. In fact, there's a lady that she said, I will teach you to pray and it'll only cost you $1,400 for a week long worth of prayer meetings that you go in. And this is a lady that's teaching it. And, and the person said, why would we want to spend $1,400 
per person to sit down and learn how to pray. Man, I'm in the wrong business if that's the case. The reality is, is the Bible teaches us to pray. How many of you all have ever taken the scriptures and prayed the scriptures? Do you know that there is an indication for us to pray the scriptures? How many of us have ever repeated the model prayer? And the model prayer is like, more than anything, it teaches us the value of prayer. Who do we offer our prayer to? To God? More than that. We offer prayer to our Heavenly Father. Did you ever notice that even in, when, John, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, you start your prayer or you pray with our Father which art in heaven. We have a relationship. And the relationship we have with God teaches us how to pray. So everything that we understand about the scripture is a relational program. It's relational. Now, again, we find that here in Revelation chapter 14, as we have concluded, that those individuals that were originally charged and sealed with, the, with the, the word of God or the name of God in their forehead, they are now in the heavenly presence. And that's the difference that we see. So the first image that we see over to the left is you can see that there, that there is a sealing of the right name of God in their forehead. The second one is now they're before the throne of God. And so in chapter 14, this is what I see. I see them now standing before the throne of God. Now there's a lot of people that will say, well, what happened to them? Did God come off the earth? Were they killed? I believe they were killed. And the reason is, it goes back to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, for it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So I believe 144,000 have to die in order for their, to, their testimony to be true. And so these individuals long for death. And, and here's the thing that really amazes me. I want you to consider, when you read the book of Numbers, when you go through uh, Levitical law and things like that, it transitions from Aaron unto Eleazar his son. But how many of us have ever noticed this, that the day came when the Lord God said, Aaron, you come up to the mountain, I'm going to take your life. How many of you have read that? How many of us would really know how to handle if we knew that death was going to be at the end of the day? And so, here's the thing that was amazing to me, and we don't really, we kind of read it, we don't really think about it, but here was Aaron, and he had to be stripped of all the holy garments, and they had to be placed on Eleazar, his son. And then we see that Aaron is, his life is taken. And Eleazar watches as his own father passes away. Now, those of the, us that are still living upon this earth, we have witnessed death on our own hands. I remember witnessing my own father's death. I remember my own mother passing away from this life. And everything that we see is like, it is a very hard, it's a hard thing for all of us to endure because it shows us the end of physical life on this side of the earth but over on the Jordan, our life continues with the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the case of Aaron, here you have Eleazar. He's witnessing, and think about this. You had Eleazar, you had Aaron, you had Moses, and you had the Lord God. And so at this very moment, 
We watch as Aaron lays down in death. And the only two that come down off the mountain is Moses and Eleazar. And as they come off that mountain, Eleazar has a responsibility to carry on the message. How many of us have ever considered a little bit later, Moses would have the same situation in the end of Deuteronomy where we begin to see, even in the book of Deuteronomy, how that uh, up on Mount Pisgah, he could watch as the children of Israel were going towards the promised land and entering to the promised land. But then he would also pass away. God was literally telling him, this is the end of the story. This is as far as you go, Moses. Can, can you think about that? So if you knew today that you had just today to live for Christ, how would you live it differently? How would you live it differently? These individuals, these 144,000, they knew they had but just one, you know, one little bit of time upon this earth. Did they die by the guillotine? We don't know. Did they die by the sword? We don't know. Did they die by having their heads lopped off? We don't know. But the end of their life has now occurred, and the testimony is taken away. I believe that when they have been the, the witness before the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's others that are carrying on the ministry, not for prosperity's sake. And I believe that there's going to be those that want to add to the prosperity. Man, send me money, send me money. But more than anything, they want to see other souls redeemed for Christ. That's the area that we need to take a look at upon this earth. So as they are removed from this earth, the first thing that we see is that there is a voice of God that is now pointed out to them that we are to fear the one who can take us and perish us into hell or who has called us to redemption. I am so glad that I am redeemed, not because of anything I've done. I don't deserve redemption. I don't deserve to be one of the called. I don't have any inkling that I deserve any of these good things. But the one thing that I do know is this. He loves me because he chose to love me. How many of us know that? It was the love of God that was allowed us to see that Jesus Christ was brought upon this earth and that we are redeemed. And so the message continues on for the inhabitants of the earth. You want to follow after the Antichrist? Guess what? You're going to follow after the Antichrist. You're going to see the problems that are going to occur. But the reality is that when we begin to see a little bit more the power of God and all that he gives us, how beautiful it's going to be, and we can see that as well. Now the thing is, we are going to be shown his glory in every other little aspect. And this brings us right into verse 8. I want us to look at, if you will, so Brother Joe, if you will, go to the next slide. The next slide goes into this. In verse, in verse 8 it says, and there, shall, and there follow another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now doesn't that sound kind of strange? That Babylon is now being called out, is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of her wrath, of her fornication. Now, if you will, you can keep your place here. I don't know if we'll come back, but I'd like first to go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. I love what uh, Ken Ham pointed out. 
that if we understand the book of Genesis, we understand everything that's in the Bible. Well, the reality is in Genesis chapter 15, there's a promise that is given to Abram. Not to Abraham. It was extended to Abram. Now, I want you to see this with me, if you will, going all the way down to verse 18. And, the, and in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, this is a physical do you realize that the name Abram is a name that is given uh, to a common person? This is that promise that is there. Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river you Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now I just want us to stop there for a moment. Now this is in Genesis chapter 15. How many of us have ever thought about where the, the borderline is that God has promised Israel. This map kind of gives you a little bit of an indication. And, and this is not an expansive territory. But there is the Euphrates River. Everybody see that? And this is, right here, the Egyptian River. And so God has promised that all of this land would be given to Israel. Now that's going to be Iranian that's going to be the Iraqian. That's going to be the what we call the Mede-Persians territory. That's going to go down here just to the border of, of the Edomites. All of that is already promised to Israel. Now that is a physical promise that God is already given to Israel. And one of the things that comes to my mind is why do we sense this great responsibility to go back in and to understand why Babylon had to be the first one to be mentioned. Take your Bibles, if you will, and let's go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 10. And in the book of Genesis, chapter 10, we begin to see a little bit more of the details that are coming into place. Now notice again, we're going to go down to verse 8. <coughs> and it says, And Cush begat Nimrod. And he began to be a mighty one in the earth. Now, let me just point this out to you. We can see the same territory. In fact, one of the areas that you look at, as you're studying this a little bit, right up in this area is Mount Ariat. Now, some bring it over this way. There's a place that even the people in that region, it's around Turkey, that they point out that the, uh, it's called the land where the ark settled. And so when that ark settled, we found that the people moved down towards this region. And as they moved to this region, they came into this area right here. And the reason that they came here was it was more favorable. It was more, you know, as far as the climate goes. Remember that this was where the people moved from that Mount Ariat. And there was a lot of snows that are there. And quite literally, it's very possible that the, the first ice caps began to settle in this area. But anyway, we know that the people moved down to here. And as they moved down to here, one of the first things that happened is they find that there's a great responsibility for them to follow the things of God. What did God command them? In Genesis chapter 9, the Lord had told Shem, Ham, and Japheth, go in and, you know, if you will, take dominion over the earth. At no time did God ever tell them to go down to this part of the Mede-Persian Empire, if you will, or Babylon. Don't go down to that area and, you know, just become a cluster. 
Instead, I want you to go into the realms that I have given you. Now, how do I know which realms they go to? This is very important. Look at verse 1 of the same Genesis chapter 10. Now, these are the generations of the son of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were born after the flood <coughs> the sons of Japheth, Gomer, and Magog. How many of you know what Gomer and Magog are? That's Germany. That's Russia. And Midian and Javan and Tubal. How many of you all have ever heard of Tubalcane? Tubal is also that same region up in uh, parts of Russia. And Meshach, that's another name for uh, Moscow. And Tyrus and the sons of Gomer, Askenaz uh, 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 and Ripha and Togomar. Togomar is part of Turkey. And the sons of Javan, uh, Elisha and Tarshish, Kittim and Dodondam. And these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue and after their families and their nations. So once again, when we take a look at it, there is just, if you will, the Japheth people. But then I think it's very interesting to look where Ham went. And the sons of Ham were Cash, Mazraim, and Put, and Canaan. How many of you know that Mazraim is part of Egypt? Put is also part of Egypt. And the sons of, of, of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, remember this, is that this is a land that was supposed to be very popular for its gold and Sata, and Rama and Sabachan, and the sons of Rama, of Sheba, and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod. Now this is where we left off last time. This was the last verse that I just read to you. And did you notice that Nimrod was known because he was a mighty hunter on the earth. In other words, he was subduing the, the beasts of the field. He was subduing maybe dragons, which were dinosaurs. Maybe he was doing um, other elements like the lions and the pterodactyls. Who knows what he was. And he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now what, this is so important to us because one is promised to Abraham, you're going to go over to this region. You get this region. And Erech and Akkad and Kalni and the land of Shinar. Now let's see where we are with Shinar. Why don't you stop there? Let's go to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, verse 1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Why did they all decide to go down to this one area? Because they had one language. And now what's interesting is maybe they, they spoke it. Maybe they thought it and everybody understood it. I don't know. But the reality is, is that they understood or they had one language amongst them. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. How many of you have ever noticed that before? The same coalition that we see with Genesis chapter uh, 10 is also found in chapter 11. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime they had for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city, and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make a name, lest we should be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. How many of you all realize 
that what they're saying at this moment is, we don't care what God says, we're going to do it our way anyway. How do we know that? Go back with me to Genesis chapter 9. And in Genesis chapter 9, notice again, that once again the Lord says in verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. He said, Go into the world, go into the, uh, the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon the fishes of the sea and the land are delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as uh, the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, you shall not eat. And again, he goes in and he gives the law. But once again, the Lord said, I give you all the earth. I want you to go into the earth. Not only that, but in Shem, Ham, and Japheth, we find the three different applications. I want you to get this for a moment. And in fact, one of the things that I really believe is that when they scattered, you know, what we're going to read here in Genesis chapter 11, they scattered to the regions that, that literally... God had commanded them to go to in the, in the beginning to, to, to start with. Now once again, let me show this to you. In verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city, and we're back in Genesis chapter 11, verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. Did you notice it said they are one? They are unified. Now how many of us have thought, Well, that's pretty good. We're all one. Even in America, we, we, we have a hard time, you know, justifying that we're just one people. And as long as there's sin upon this earth, there's never going to be the unity of one. But notice again that they wanted to build after they came into The Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have one language. And this they begin to do, and nothing is restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Why was the imagination so important? If you will, let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. And let's go, if you will, hold your place here. Genesis chapter 6. Let me get over here as well. And let's go down to verse 5. And God saw, this was before the flood... This was before the flood in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. Do you realize that the longer that you're by yourself, if you have one language or whatever, that being a Christian is not a guarantee that you're not going to face the struggles of this life. Now, we can find every struggle under the sun that is there. I mean, it is made, it seems like it's more and more pronounced to us every day. When we go back into the book of Matthew, it says that they, uh, that as his was in the days of Noah, when they were given in marriage, and, and they were marrying and given in marriage. In other words, there was nothing sacred about marriage anymore. So when you get over here and you begin to see that they have one imagination, the imagination is done in evil. Now, I didn't bring everything up. But the reality is, is that if you ever go to Babylon, even to this day, 
it is one of the, the most difficult cities to navigate and to try to escape evil. I may mention that there was a friend of mine, his name is Brother Arbender, or Brother Vinny, we like to call him. And I remember that I have a plaque upstairs where uh, he had to go to Iran and to try to get back uh, five hostages. And as he went in, because he's dark-skinned and things like that, he, uh, he looks very much uh, like the people of that region. And I remember that Brother Vinny would call me and he'd say, it, it, this is just one of the most challenging places I've ever been in. And I said, Brother Vinny, what do you mean? He goes, he said, you can feel the evil. How many of you have ever felt evil? It's, it's strange. It is, uh, I remember many years ago that I was, I was door knocking in Jackson, Ohio. You know, we were trying to start a mission up there. And I remember that as we came down the street, there was something eerie about that street. And I came to this one house, and I knocked on the door. And as I knocked on the door, it was, it was just quiet. And I thought, well, I'll just leave a track in the door. And as I was getting ready to get off of the steps, how many of you have ever had a door go creaking open? <laughs> That's exactly what it was like. And this guy suddenly came out, and there was a coldness that began to breeze my way. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't have the air conditioning on. I don't know. But the thing that really bothered me about that particular situation was that I tried to witness to him about Jesus Christ and his need of a Savior. And in the darkness, I could hear laughter, evil laughter. How many of you have ever had that? And I could feel the, the ugliness of these things coming down upon me, the evil that came down upon me. And my kids were right there beside me. I, I can't remember if I had Tony and Jeremy or just one of them with me, uh, but they remember it as well. And as I finally left this place, I, got, I was so drained that when we got out on the sidewalk, I said, boys, we've got to pray. I said, your dad has had it. And I prayed for that, that person that was in that house and that if there was evil, that it would be done. Here's the reality is, evil is ever around us. If I could drive that point home, that's the one thing that I want everyone to hear. Evil is ever around us. And we think that we don't have to face evil. And, you know, let me just put it this way. Our homes should be dedicated to God. Our land should be dedicated to God. Everything we possess ought to be dedicated to God. And you say, well, that's going a little bit far-fetched. Is it really? If I want to give honor and glory to God, then should I not be willing to give all the good that I have to God? But notice that at that very moment, all their imagination was evil. And Babylon is a place of evil. As I stated, that plaque that I have upstairs was one that is, uh, I remember Brother Vinny called me and he said, Brother, pray to pray with me, with, with me right now. Pray that I get out of here quickly. I've never known evil like I've known it here right now. And I prayed with him. And, I, and he honored me with that plaque upstairs. But look what it says in verse 7 of, of uh, Genesis chapter 10, of uh, 11, excuse me. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language. Now, why do you think the Lord confounded their language? Number one, to get the people to go where they were supposed to go to begin with. 
God never intended for them to go into the land of Shinar and be together as one people. Point number two. God also scattered them with a language that they did not understand to stop what they were doing. Did God give them approval to build a, a tower that reached up into heaven to where they could defy God? Not any time soon. And let us go down therefore and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad. Isn't it interesting that the simple procedure of confounding the language scattered them? Now here's what's interesting. Do you know that there is a program, and you probably have heard it on the radio and you've never associated it, it used to be called Rosetta Stone. How many of you ever remember the Rosetta Stone? It's now called Babel. And so what the word Babel meant was that originally it was the confounding of the languages. Now Babel's bringing everything back. I can, you know, it's interesting is that I, I will work with different Spanish or different people from other lands, and uh, they may respond to me, you know, out of the Spanish, and praise God for Google Translate because I don't speak Spanish. I speak enough German to get myself in trouble. But the reality is, is that in the Spanish language, I can take what they write and I can put it over into Google Translate, and it will give me uh, what they're saying, you know, pretty much in the English. But there is another language that I can speak it, or let them speak their language into a phone, and then I can hit a button and it will automatically refer it back to English. I can refer back to English and hit that same button, they can hear it in their language. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I really think it's a bad thing. Reality is, is that the Lord scattered the people, and that's why it is called Babel to this day. Now, what's interesting, Babel is part of present-day Babylon. And may I point this out to you, that God had to call Abram out of that land. It's called the land of the Ur of the Chaldees. And here you find that Abraham is going to be called away from this place. And as he is going to be called, there's the land of the Ur of the Chaldees down in this particular area, and he's going to be coming up to this place here, which is part of the Fertile Crescent. And when they get up to this part, then we're going to see a greater separation where God said, I'm going to give you all this possession. And here's what's interesting. This is why I refer back to Genesis chapter 15. Because while he was still Abraham, God said, I'm going to give you everything and your possession and your people. No, not Ishmael. He said the covenant will be passed on to Isaac. And so that land, all the way over here from the Nile River, all the way over to the Euphrates River, there's your boundaries, there's your border, there's Israel. And here's the thing that's interesting. Israel has never had that possession. Not even close. And I had one person tell me one time, well, maybe, maybe God meant that also as part of Ishmael. Well, if that's the case, what about Edomites? The land of Edom belongs to the Edomites. It belongs to Esau's lineage. And if you go into this particular area, how powerful it is that we begin to see most of it. Once again, I want to take us back to the book of Revelation. We're going to close here. In verse 8, and it said, And the following angels saying, Babylon is fallen. The evil is no longer there. 
And the wickedness is no longer going to be there. Is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So the Lord's willing, we're going to pick up from there next week, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Babylon has fallen and everything else that goes into our detail. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Again, Father, we want to thank you for the goodness that you show us. Help us, dear Father, to be faithful in all things. May we rejoice in thy name, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>